All right, we're going to return to the book of James, chapter number 3. James, chapter 3. James, chapter 3 in the New Testament. Once again, we're in chapter 2 this morning, talking about faith without works is dead and what that passage of Scripture means. I hope that was a blessing and uh, helpful to you. If you ever um, meet with a Jehovah's Witness, or Jehovah's Witnesses seem to be the ones very keen on using that passage, but also uh, sometimes you'll, you'll meet people from the Church of Christ who believe you get, you're saved by baptism uh, that will also use it. And pretty much anybody, any group that gives reverence or lip service to the Bible that, uh, that believes that there is something other than faith in Christ needed to be saved will cram whatever doctrinal persuasion they have into those verses. And uh, so we all need to be equipped with that. And uh, next time we hear about it, we need to say, now hold on. Now let's, I'm not letting you use God's Word like that. So today we're going to be, this evening rather, we're going to be in uh, chapter 3. We're going to look at a passage starting in verse number 13. We're going to study... Uh, the, uh, the two different kinds of wisdom that are mentioned in verses 13, 13 through 18. So let's read this together, and then we'll pray, and, uh, let's, and uh, let's read the word together and ask the Lord to help us. Verse 13, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you, have, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we come before you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we study your word, Lord, we confess that we cannot, uh, we don't know the right things to say, and uh, Lord, we need you to be our teacher. You are our teacher through your spirit. Each one of us here that has believed on Christ, has received the spirit of God, has a personal teacher within us that uh, teaches us and instructs us in the way of righteousness and the truth and, and uh, reveals secrets to us that the world cannot understand. Thank you for your word. Thank you for everyone here once again that's come and is listening. I pray that you would bless your word uh, to our hearts, that you, would, uh, that you would speak to us through it. Lord, help us uh, to have the right kind of wisdom. Help us and equip us, Lord, to be able to identify when our wisdom is, um, is contrary 
to the wisdom of God that's described in these verses. Uh, Lord, we know that each of us, in each of us is a nature that desires to exalt wisdom that is not from God. And so we just pray that you, you would fill us with your wisdom uh, through your word here, uh, here now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in <clears throat> talking about two different kinds of wisdom that are mentioned here, uh, there's kind of an introduction in verse number 13. Uh, it says this, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Um, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Now, so in a church like ours, um, it, this is kind of the way I view this verse, is it's almost like James, Brother James, is speaking out to the church just like he's preaching a message. In fact, you could read the book of James as a, as a sermon, and it'd be a, it'd be a pretty good sermon uh, if you just read the text. Uh, but it's almost like James is speaking out into the congregation, and he's asking the congregation, who in the, who in the church here is a wise man or a wise woman, a wise person? Who is considered to be someone who is endued or endowed with knowledge? Who Someone maybe that is uh, cut above, someone who is considered to be um, uh, spiritually intelligent or has wisdom or has knowledge. Maybe we might say someone that knows the Bible or someone who really studies the Bible. You know, in my time since I've been a, a believer, the entire time I've been saved, I've been a member of this church. And in this church, I've seen people who have... Uh, who have, and not just in this church, in other churches too, who have had the name of being someone who, who had the wisdom of God or they were understood or thought to be someone who had the wisdom of God. But as it turns out, the wisdom that they had was not wisdom from above, but wisdom from below, as we describe here. And uh, there's a danger, there's a danger in us equating uh, someone who knows the Bible with having the wisdom that, that, that we might say scriptural knowledge or spiritual knowledge with equating that with, with something that God is involved in because that's not always a one-to-one -one comparison. Uh, just because we have knowledge, the Bible says that knowledge puffeth up. What does that mean? That means it makes your head big. That means it makes you proud, and it, and, it, and it, can make you, it can make you arrogant. And in this context in particular, one, one aspect of this wisdom and how it affects the church comes out, and that is the way it affects the interaction with people between themselves and the way it affects the harmony and the unity of the church. So in verse number 14, it says, or verse 13, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? So do you consider yourself, should, do I consider myself to be someone who knows the Bible? Constantly, God gives us questions that he, he, inspect, he, he expects us to use it to inspect our own hearts. So do you consider yourself a person who knows the Bible? And if you do, here's what he says. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. 
So if a person has wisdom, or a person is, is a thought of as a person who has wisdom in a church, and has knowledge, they have a reputation for that, for, for that spiritual or scriptural knowledge. God says, uh, first of all, that wisdom that they have, that Bible knowledge that they have, should first of all be applied to themselves. That's the first thing. If we have the knowledge of God, our first priority is to apply it to ourselves. At this point, I think of one, one of the uh, so wrongly applied, but I think of one of the of phrases of Scripture uh, in which the Lord, the Lord Jesus, would, went back to his home, his hometown, and they said to Jesus, uh, they said, uh, in essence, the, the term is, physician, heal thyself. And what they, it was a proverb. It was, a, it was an analogy, an idiom, which is to say, if you've done all these great things then in all these other places, and the text actually says that, then why don't you do it in your hometown? And we know, if you know the, the verses, why didn't the Lord do great works in his home, in his home area? Anybody remember? Exactly. They, had, they, they were full of unbelief, and they could not get over the fact that they knew Jesus when he was uh, a child. And, of course, the history goes with Mary and Joseph and all that. So their unbelief was the reason he couldn't do great works, but what did they say to him? They said, physician, heal thyself. In other words, if you've done all these great things, then do it here too. And uh, it just reminds me of this passage. Uh, it reminds me of, of the, the truth that's being, that's being spoken of here. So there's a a grain of truth in that, which is, if anybody has wisdom or Bible knowledge, we must first apply it to ourselves before we seek to give it to anyone else. The second thing is, if anyone has spiritual knowledge or Bible wisdom, that wisdom should have produced fruit in the way that person lives that is, in, their, the, the, in verse 13, it says, good conversation. It says, good conversation and meekness of wisdom. So, in other words, if he has Bible knowledge and he knows all these things, but his life is a wreck and his life is full of pride, he doesn't have meekness of wisdom. He does not have good conversation. That simply means a good, li a good, a good lifestyle. Conversation just the way we live, to conduct, conduct ourselves, good conduct, we might say. See, the thing is, if we, claim, if we have Bible knowledge and we have, we have uh, Bible wisdom and we know a lot of spiritual things and we know all the names of the Bible doctrines and we know where the verses are, but we haven't applied them to ourselves and, and then it has not affected our life, there is a problem. There is a problem because the knowledge that we seek to tell others has not first been applied to us, to ourselves. And it has not affected us, and it, it, it destroys our credibility. And that's one thing I really appreciate. I know Pastor Stewart's listening, but I'm going to say it anyway. That's one thing I really appreciate about Pastor Stewart is the things that he preaches to us, he applies to himself. And when I get to talk to him, you know, at the church here when I'm working and he's working, and, and uh, that's something I've got to know about him is that he's, 
he, he, the, the things that are in the scripture that he teaches us, he is also teaching himself. And that knowledge is, is, uh, is uh, you know, he, he himself is first priority in that because how can he teach others if he has not, if he has not received that? <clears throat> to put it in a nutshell, what we know as Bible knowledge and, and wisdom should make us le- easier to live with, right? It should make our life more holy and upright, first of all. And so we go to verse 14. That was kind of the introduction in this passage, but in verse 14 is the beginning of, of the section that talks about the first kind of wisdom. The Bible says this, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, all right, so in verse 13 we're talking about wisdom. What kind of wisdom? And the Lord says, this kind of wisdom that produces envying and strife, again, how it affects the way we interact with others, specifically other believers, but not just other believers, but other people. That kind of wisdom is not from God. So that kind of knowledge, our head can be full of Bible knowledge, but that kind of knowledge, and our head can be full of wisdom and what we think is the right thing to do according to the Bible. That's kind of what wisdom is knowledge applied, right? That's kind of the working definition. We understand wisdom is knowledge applied in, in decisions. Well, if we have knowledge from the Scripture and we have wisdom, but its product is nothing but pride and envy and strife. God says, that wisdom's not from me. And it says here, that wisdom, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Now let's look at the words envy and strife. Again, what the Lord is wanting us to do is to look at, the, at, at those among us who are considered to be wise, primarily ourselves, obviously, and say and ask, how is this supposed wisdom affecting how we interact with one another? Envying and strife. Envy. Envy and strife are like fraternal twins. And they occur, they occur together, they appear together in the Bible. There's at least seven times on the New Testament in which the words envy and strife occur together because they're, they're, they're very, very similar words. And these two sibling words are produced wholly by the flesh. Now let's look at, uh, let's look at envy real quick. Envy is defined as, as the, feeling, the feeling of mortification and ill will occasioned by the contemplation of superior advantages possessed by another. Now, that's a high-sounding definition, but here's what it simply means. I want us to get this definition of envy because I think envy is one of the most insidious, nasty sins that affects our relationships with other people. And what envy is, is basically, it's, it's having anger and ill will or being 
being perturbed and bothered by another person out of pure jealousy of the blessings and successes that they have. So we see someone have success, and we see them have a blessing. We see Brother Ari, he's able to go out to the Grand Canyon, and because we're jealous, and because maybe we didn't get to go, or maybe we didn't have enough money, or because we... You know, we only went one play. We only went down to Florida. We didn't get all the way to go to the Grand Canyon. We see that, and instead of being happy for Ari, we we find we use that as a pretext to criticize and have ill will toward Ari. Well, he's just you know, he just wants to show off and talk about all his zip line and all this stuff he is able to do and all that. You see, and and envy is the root not only of of that kind of thing, but it's also often the root of a critical spirit. It's the root of a critical spirit and a, and a cutting and, and backbiting kind of attitude. It often goes right back down to envy and jealousy. And the truth is, the person against whom we are envious might have no idea. Might just be living their life totally oblivious to the fact that another person is just green with envy. And they haven't done anything. But at the root of that ill will, at the root of that ill will is envy, jealousy. Seeing someone's success, or, and here's a good test for this. If we ever hear someone else praised and it bothers us, there, right there, that's, that right there is the root of envy. If it bothers us that other people are praised, and as I said, it's the root of some of the most ugly sins, some of the most nasty attitudes, and it is not of God. It is not of God. It is wicked. And then you have strife. Strife, you might could, uh, you might could illustrate like it just means contention or competition. It's tug of war. That's what strife is. Strife is a tug of war. Let's hold our place here. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse number 3. We're going to look there and we're going to look in Galatians really quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. says this, for ye are yet carnal. What does the word carnal mean? The flesh. The word carnal is related to the word carne. And if you know any other language, you know that has to do with meat. That's the flesh, right? That's referring to the flesh. That is our, our natural nature, our basic nature. Here's what it says. For ye are yet carnal. Now, how do you know that, Paul? For whereas there is among you envying, here's those, here's those fraternal twins again, envying and strife and divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? While one saith, I am of Apollo, and another, I am of Apollos. Are ye not carnal? In other words, their carnality was wrapped and clothed in spiritual-sounding clothes. One, one says, no, I like Paul. The other says, I like Apollos. And Paul says, you're just in the flesh. This is not of God. This wisdom 
This wisdom that creates parties in the church that where they tug on one another like tug of war, strife, that's, that's the definition of strife, this isn't of God. It's what is it of, though? According to these verses, what is it from? It's from carnality, the flesh. Listen, there is no circumstance, there is no circumstance in which strife and envy are ever spiritual. There's no circumstance, no matter how spiritual we wrap it, or no matter the, how spiritual we feel like our position might be, there is no circumstance in which envy and strife are, are spiritual. They're not. They are carnal. Look at Galatians chapter 5 real quick. Verse number 19. It could not be put any plainer. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, that is, trying to one-up one another, wrath, Strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, there's our fraternal twins, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Where do those come from? Those are the works of the flesh. As I said, it matters not how spiritual we make those things seem to be or what spiritual pretext we give to them. God says, the test of that wisdom is, does it produce envy and strife or not? If it produces envy and strife in our relationships with other people, then it is not, not, not of God. And whatever position or whatever knowledge or, or position of wisdom that, uh, that, that we have that leads us to take a position whose product is envy and strife is not of God. So let's look back to James chapter 3. Verse 15 says, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. So we've seen in the first kind of wisdom, we've seen the fruit of that wisdom. It sounds spiritual. The Bible knowledge sounds good, right? Remember, this is, a, this is, this is the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of men. In other words, it has a name of wisdom. You know, it sounds like it's good, but the fruit of it is, is rotten. It's wicked. And it produces strife and division. And it produces strife and envy. And it actually destroys and harms those around us. God says, this kind of wisdom 
is not from God in heaven, it's from the earth. Earthly, sensual, devilish. Earthly of the world. Sensual of the flesh. Devilish from Satan. It's pretty strong. That means it is, it is in alignment with the world's philosophy and the world's values. It, it has its motivation from the, the carnal urges to one-up another person and criticize and pick at everyone else. And this is all spiritual-sounding wisdom. And it's, and it's egged on and, and pushed on by Satan himself. I just, I don't want us, and I think this passage is trying to teach us to not be deceived just simply because people have Bible knowledge, whether it be me or anyone else or anybody. God says, who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? What's his, what's his knowledge doing? How is it affecting? See, the thing is, we can often have this idea that we have Bible knowledge and that very that very thought is the pretext for us to harm others. But it sounds spiritual. This kind of wisdom, as I said, is not from God, despite the fact that it's called by the same term, wisdom. Now this wisdom will always be, this wisdom will always be uh, uh, commended by the world. This wisdom will always be commended by the world. And you see this kind of wisdom, if even outside of Christianity, even among people that don't know the Lord, you'll see them practice this kind of wisdom, this kind of twisting of knowledge and using knowledge in a way that harms people and how it comes out of the flesh and how it causes them to treat others. But the context of this is not those people that don't know the Lord, but it's those of us that do know the Lord. I would just ask you and, I, and, and all of us to examine ourselves. How do we view other people? How do we treat other people? How, when, and a good test for this is when you see another believer, another Christian, are there any people that you see and when you see or think of them, you think negative, you, you, you are bothered and irritated and, and you have ill will toward them just because they're alive? You see, whatever is the back of that that causes us to feel that way is not wisdom from God. And the Lord is not pleased with it. But then there is a second kind of wisdom. Verse 16, before I get there, let me finish this out. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion. There's no unity. There's no order. It's disarray and every evil work. Once again, these kinds of things, this kinds of wicked and ungodly thought processes that people think it comes out of wisdom are, are the basis for some of the most ungodly ideas that people have. And you, you ought to hear people that, that commit crimes and that justify their crimes with logic because they think they know more than everybody else. 
And it's that worldly, wicked wisdom. And so we go down to verse number 17. The Bible says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now notice, we're not examining the wisdom based upon what the knowledge is. We're examining the wisdom based upon what it produces. Right? We're not examining the knowledge itself. We're not saying, is this right or is this wrong? There's a, there's a verse in the scripture, actually, uh, if you want to turn, hold your place there, and turn there to Luke chapter 7 real quick. I want to show you this, this verse because it's, it's been very useful to me. Uh, and I think it would be useful to you as well. Luke 7, verse number 33. The Lord speaking, he says, For John the Baptist came neither drink, eating nor drinking wine, and ye say he hath a devil. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. To, to put it briefly, he's saying, John the Baptist... He didn't do all these things. He didn't do the things that I do, and you say he's a, he has a devil. And then I do, I do it, and you say I'm a glutton and I'm a wine bibber. In other words, if I do this, you hate me. If I, if I do that, you hate me. And then verse 35, but the Lord says, But wisdom is justified of all her children. Which is to say, the fruit that wisdom produces determines the quality of the wisdom, whether the wisdom is worth following or whether wisdom is true the fruit. See, the problem is their wisdom, they, oh yeah, they had all, they had these Pharisees and things, they had spiritual reasons why they hated Jesus, okay? They all did. They all had good sounding reasons why they hated him. But the, but what did it produce? Envy. Did you know that envy was the main cause for them having the Lord arrested and crucified? And even in the ministry of Paul, the Bible teaches in Acts that envy was the reason that the, everywhere that Paul went, the Jews constantly persecuted him. Envy. That was the product of that wisdom. Oh yeah, it sounded spiritual. We, listen, we should never be duped and so naive that just because someone throws out a Bible verse that we're all of a sudden we're like, wow, they're so spiritual. Right? Look at the fruit of that wisdom. Look at the fruit of that wisdom. And that goes for ourselves as well. But this second kind of wisdom is from above. So it has different fruit entirely. In other words, it's, it's, this kind of wisdom is produced by God and His Spirit. But notice what it says. It is, look at its fruit. It is first pure. Wisdom that is from God at no time would ever lead someone to do something sinful. Wisdom from God never uses anything from the Bible or anything from the Lord as a pretext to do evil. Just like, they, just like the, you've heard the cliche, never, it's never to do right. It's never, it's never right to do wrong to get a chance to do right. 
You can never use God's wisdom as an excuse to do evil. That's what this said. First, it's pure. God is most concerned with something being right. Right? That's the wisdom of God. With it being true, with it being right, with it being holy, with it being just. Second, then peaceable. Peaceable. That means inclined or in favor of peace. Inclined to avoid strife, uh, to avoid strife, not aggressive or quarrelsome. See, this is the wisdom of God. If the wisdom that we have, if the knowledge that we claim, if it produces in us a tendency to quarrel or to fight and argue or to have ill will, then it's not wisdom from God because the wisdom from God from above is peaceable. It seeks to reconcile. It seeks to have proper relationships. It says gentle. Gentle. We all know what the word gentle means. But some people are abrasive, right? Are unapproachable. Right? You just you can't talk to them about anything. You know they're going to bite your head off every time you go to them. And they think it's spiritual. It's not. I'm talking about the wisdom of God, right? This is what it produces. It says, and easy to be entreated. You know what that means? I'm talking about approachable. What that means is to entreat someone is to, is to make, a, make a request for. And so when you entreat someone, that means you go to them and you ask them for something. You, add, you, add, you make a request of them. This says they're easy to be entreated. Again, when someone is, you can't approach them. You can't talk to them. You can't ask them anything because you know that, that they're, on, they're on edge all the time. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we are like that. Okay, we're on edge all the time and just waiting on someone to, to ask us something and we'll read into what they say and we'll, you know, react like that and, and you know, have a, a reaction that's, not, that's not, not right. Unapproachable. Above being asked anything. That's not the wisdom of God. It says full of mercy, compassion toward others. Not hardness. See, the wisdom of God leads someone to have compassion. You know, sometimes, sometimes when we think about people that need compassion, they deserve what they're getting. But the wisdom of God, the Bible says, mercy, what? Rejoiceth against judgment. That means mercy wins the fight against judgment. Wisdom of God and good fruits. Without partiality, that's deciding, well, I like these people, I don't like those people. And without hypocrisy. Look at this word, this, this definition of hypocrisy. Assuming, assuming of a false appearance of, of virtue or goodness with dissimulation of real character or inclinations, pretense, a sham. The wisdom of God leads people to not be hypocrites to not put on a spiritual face, but to be sincere. Sincere. See, this is 
the wisdom of God. Again, we talk about having Bible knowledge and how much knowledge we have and what we know. And, but the thing is, is if, if what we know is producing evil fruit in us, then, then the ver- these verses teach us that the fruit, the, uh, the, the knowledge and the wisdom that we have is not coming from God. It's coming from our own ego, from our own flesh, from our own sensual desires to be, to be one up on everyone, to know more, to be above. This is the two kinds of wisdom. Verse 18 says this, and we'll be finished. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. If you think of it like when we have the wisdom of God, in verse 17 it says it produces good fruits. We take those fruits, say say it's a tree, right? We take those that fruit and we plant that fruit. That wisdom of God, that good wisdom produces good fruit. We plant that fruit and it produces other good fruit. And that good fruit grows into harmony, right? Unity, kindness, and love, and good relationships. And so as we look at the, as we consider the wisdom that we have, we should be discerning people. We should be discerning people as we, as we consider our Bible knowledge. What does our Bible knowledge, what does our spiritual wisdom, what does it lend itself toward in our lives? What fruit does it produce? And that gives us a good indicator as to where it came from. And how the Lord views it in our lives. Let's pray.